0: Hey, Dame. What's good? You know, I was curious. We've been home for a minute now recording remotely. And, you know, I just feel like I've had so much more time on my hands. I've been listening to more music, watching more shows, engaging with more podcasts. And I was curious, have you listened to any podcasts recently?
1: Nope. Still no. I make this and I watch things, and I love all you podcast listeners because you make this work possible. <laughs> but all you other podcasters, don't ask me. I have not heard your podcast. I'm really sorry. It is no hard feelings. I don't listen to my own.
0: <laughs> if you were,
1: if I were, to though, to a podcast. I know where I would go. Where would you go? I'm going to check out Overcast.
0: Overcast is an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. Yeah, I love independence. I love free things. This sounds like where I'm going to have to go uh, step into this game of podcast listening. Podcasts for the people. Get it for free on the App Store.
2: There is opportunity for us to turn this horrible <laughs> inequity into not only a redistribution, but a way for people to connect more to nature since we have so many spaces that are barren.
0: I'm Daniel. I'm Damon. And welcome to Climate Change Makers, presented by Elevate Energy.
1: For 20 years, Elevate Energy has been building equity through climate action by improving quality of life for underserved communities, by helping them save money, improve their environment, and access opportunities in the workforce that will be a part of tackling climate change.
0: As they move into the next decade of their work, they're looking to learn from their fellow community members who are equitably transforming the environmental legacy of their homes, neighborhoods, cities, and futures, and they brought the two of us in to help. Over the course of this podcast,
1: we've been talking to some of Illinois' most impactful environmental justice visionaries who've been working to build a more equitable and sustainable world and explore what ideas guide their work, which strategies have been effective, and what advice they have for Elevate Energy as the organization works to put people and the planet first in their fight to build equity through climate
0: action. Today on this episode, we're talking with someone whose approach to her work. And to our city and our world is always illuminating and enlightening and joyous to learn about the incomparable Tanika Lewis-Johnson. Tanika Lewis-Johnson
1: is an amazing cultural worker who works as a photographer, visual artist, and educator, um, and has been doing a lot of work as a Southside resident, particularly holding down the Greater Englewood community through her amazing Folded Map Project, which puts folks from opposite sides of the city in relationship with each other in ways that unpack some of the ways in which our city is organized in disparate and inequitable ways.
0: Tanika is one of the co-founders of Resident Association of Greater Englewood, also known as RAGE. RAGE. She is the creator of the Folded Map Project, as well as a bunch of other incredible artistic endeavors. We hear about how the life of the Folded Map Project has expanded, the connections that emerged between the interpersonal connection and our relationship to the natural world, how the concept of ownership and property is at the root of so much of the structural violence that we're fighting against, and there are a couple of little Cute little puns and jokes thrown in just to keep you on your toes. Let's get into our conversation, um, which we start the same way we've started every episode with the two part question. We ask Tanika in this time, this moment, this season, how is the world treating her and how is she treating the
2: world? It's challenging me. The world is definitely challenging me, it's stretching me. Um, and in turn, term- Er, and I am trying to continue to challenge the people within it <laughs> and mm-hmm. stretch them as well. So that that sums up how I've been doing this past eight months. <laughs> <laughs>
0: some 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 challenges going multiple directions. Mm-hmm. So the, the follow up that we've asked uh, for this Climate change maker series is putting people to the side for for a moment. How's the rest of the world treating you? The plants, the animals, the air, the sun, the rain. How's that part of the world treating you, and how are you treating that part of the world?
2: I miss that part of the world. Uh, This this pandemic has made me realize how much I miss that part of the world. Uh, in In June, July, I literally had to take a one day excursion to this beautiful park in in wisconsin just i had to drive and get away because i really wanted to be around trees and plants and ponds and hear birds and, and and get annoyed at bugs around me you know like i just i miss the sounds of it um and then when i returned you know, I, I wanted to be around water. And so, you know, some friends and I took a boat ride on the lake. But it was definitely just a desire and an urge to be in the stillness and calmness of nature. And as a result of me realizing the being reminded of the peace and tranquility it can give you, I was like yeah i'm I'm definitely going to be more mindful of that part of the world,
0: yeah, you know one one of the things about this time is it's gotten me like really firming up like where are my little pockets of that that aren't a farther drive away, and as someone who has such a like intricate and layered relationship to the city, do you have like your your secret little by a water by a tree mindfulness spots? And would you be comfortable to reveal them? Because I also don't want them crowded next time. You need that little moment of peace.
2: I know. Well, I have a couple of them. Uh, one of them is 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 going through some landscaping right now on, on the ground level. But we are now referring to it as the Inglewood Trail. Um, but before it was dubbed the Inglewood Trail, that was uh, several people's little secret getaway. It's the <laughs> old elevated train tracks that obviously have been grown over with grass. And that definitely used to be the space I would go to to walk in the warmer months because just being elevated that close to the treetops and being able to walk through on top of the streets and, and still see people but have this different perspective of of the ground and, and then have that whole entire bird ecosystem and butterfly ecosystem. I love the Inglewood Trail and then also Sherman Park. It's beautiful. I have definitely use that park a lot since my childhood i used to ride my bike through there and sometimes i'll just park and go sit on a bench right in front of the pond that's there so those are those are the two off top that i can say over the course of my life i have definitely utilized a lot
0: do you want to hear the really crappy pun that one of those beautiful things you just said made me think
2: oh my gosh what <laughs>
0: So you would say that when you're on the Englewood Trail that that Mm -hmm. elevation gives you you energy?
2: Uh,
0: (laughs) uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh You all are so good good with that. (laughs) (laughs) It's truly... A useless skill, but happy to bring it forward today.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was completely prepared to do it smooth, too. I was going to, like, actually, like, make it seem cooler than it was with the I went back and
0: forth on it. Yeah, yeah, I was no, like, no, do you I just really like, show my true self? I'm a go for no. it. I'm going to just... Yeah, let's open <laughs> up the curtain.
1: Let's let people know how ridiculous we are where <laughs> we are.
0: <laughs> oh, my god!
1: But, but I, I do think, you know, that imagery of, of you high up in Englewood peering out at the landscape speaks a lot to your work. And I want us to really ground this conversation in the ways in which you use, you know, an artistic lens of documentation to address the way, like social, political, and economic structures, like shape environment, and the ways in which I think now, since the last time we've talked about you, a lot of people have listened to you <laughs> uh, in yeah. ways that, like, there was this willful ignorance or invisibilization of the ways in which, in a city landscape, a few miles can have these like grave environmental outcomes in terms of health and other things of, of consequence. Um, I'm curious now that you, you know in addition to folder map project has done all of this documentation of inequity in cities. Um, how do you feel the conversation has moved, uh, from folks who've maybe heard or not even heard, seen this visualization that you have created for so many folks? Um, are, are you feeling that there is a, um, a different movement towards action or accountability in terms of how our environments are so disparate while being so close?
2: Yes. Um, no, thank you for that. And people are definitely referencing my work and and listening. We're not referencing more. and getting
1: ashamed into referencing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> they, don't, they don't want that smoke I try not to
2: bring a smoke but
0: sometimes you know <laughs> that's the thing about smoke it wafts in from time. <laughs> it was
1: it cute though did you good. see Daniel right there with that ergo platform <laughs> amplifier like hey buddy yeah. <laughs> for,
0: for, those, for those who don't know uh, there was a, a New York Times photo essay that did something very similar to folded map and I'd say it was like a three to five hour process <laughs> of us and our acquaintances pretty much just making the point clear and uh and someone listened. that was cool uh,
2: chicago not playing (laughs) (laughs) chicago is not having it so that should be
0: on the uh when you go over the skyway when they say welcome to chicago that's what it should say it's just chicago is not
2: having it no we're not having it i was like okay okay (laughs) <laughs> uh, but yes, definitely. Um, because my project is 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 visual, and and you know my contribution to this this larger conversation of understanding this disparity and segregation is the visual concept of comparing photographs, and because it's that visual component, it has helped people understand how undeniable it is (laughs) you know and as a result of that a lot of people have been reaching out wanting to understand how this historic issue has impacted their personal life so people are are listening more to to really use the project as in entry point into them understanding the the larger, deeper systemic issues, but then also using it as a point of reflection on their own life. Like, yes, segregation does impact certain people more, negatively impact, but for the people who benefit from segregation, you have also been impacted within your social networks, within your personal life, and then calling them to reflect on that. Like, how would your life also have been different if we were not segregated? Mm -hmm. How would your perspective on things, your viewpoints, your understanding uh, have been different? So I have had a lot of of interest, uh, requests for presentations and conversations about it, more so than when it was actually exhibited at, the museum in 2018 and even and even last year
0: it's one of the things that i think is so powerful about the project the line that it draws is that there's nobody that lives outside of this right it's it's not come look at the experience of someone else it's saying you're not paying attention to your life <laughs> for the people who aren't paying attention like you're a a subject and an actor in this and you've like damon said like willfully removed yourself from that context in a way that is either disingenuous or not uh, true, like to be, be blunt. yeah. So in linking that to some of the themes of this conversation uh, in the series, how are you seeing the environmental impacts in that disparity uh, come up in these conversations that people are having in that exploring? Um, and if it's not, how do you bring that component in?
2: it seeps in in a lot of different ways Um, folded map definitely has a nod to urban planning you know utilizing cartography and the map to really understand um, how the land and environment is different in the neighborhoods that are racially and economically different and so since the project kind of uplifts using cartography then you can't help but notice that, you know, there are certain things happening in Black neighborhoods on the South Side that aren't happening on the North Side. The North Side doesn't have a huge, you know, Inglewood rail yard line, you know, that has a history of pollution. You know, the Southeast part of Chicago is definitely by a a, a whole lot of factories that pollution is also an issue. So even just utilizing the map of Chicago and looking at it through a lens of segregation and race and environmental justice, you can see That just the landscape of Chicago situates Black neighborhoods in areas that have remained industrial with factories or the remnants of closed factories. And then when you add on abandoned homes and vacant lots, that's another kind of environmental injustice because now you're creating these issues where that are hazardous you know having a block of abandoned homes that now have exposed pipes or having so much vacant lots that we all know the soil is <laughs> is not good that if you even want to grow something on right. it you have to use a raised bed so now these are all exposed kids are playing on it on top of the fact that buildings were demolished homes were demolished and now that that debris sometimes still exists so you know, Folded Map really just helps people think about um, race and inequity through the use of looking at cartography and land. Once you begin to look at it that way, you can pay attention to just the environmental difference.
1: I want to kind of follow up on that question Um as someone who has such a um unique perspective of of how these differences show up in, in in real consequence i'm i'm interested if there's ways that we could like find new metrics or new vocabulary to discuss how inequity affects human beings and affects people um cuz there are ways that we talk about it usually in terms of dollars but i'm curious in in your viewpoint are you seeing any disparity in terms of like further this connection to like natural resources. Like I I think about our water systems and the way that like, there's more lead pipes distributed in certain parts of the city, or even like green spaces. We were talking earlier about like these little oases Mm -hmm. we try to find Are are there ways in which as you're seeing these like disparate health outcomes or these other types of stratification that we can talk about access to like natural resources as a component of segregation or or inequity?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we can even look at <laughs> our lakeshore. The south side of the lakeshore does not have an abundance of accessible beaches in comparison to the north side. And that right there says a lot. And then also just even the preservation of the, the natural spaces within the park districts, that's not kept up the same. So now you also have that disparity just in the actual upkeep and maintenance of the park spaces. And then if you want to talk about land and mapping and the difference in the environment, just even the trees, the trees alone, which definitely play a role in purifying the quality of our air system or or also providing shade. There have been studies that have shown what we all probably unconsciously knew, there are less trees in many of the neighborhoods on the South Side in comparison to the North Side, which as a result, make parts of the South Side actually hotter because they don't have um, an opportunity to have more shade. And with concrete, that makes the temperature rise. So all of those things, you know, Mm -hmm. definitely add up to just the environmental inequity, not to mention once we get to lead, okay? There is an actual organization in Inglewood, imagine Inglewood if that was solely established to address lead in schools, in the homes on the South side. And because it's situated in a neighborhood that's predominantly black, and we already have a predisposition to, to asthma and other health issues that can be exacerbated with lead that was the cause of this organization and still remains also the fact that the south side has a lot of closed schools that do have lead paint and they're closed now and now that's exposed asbestos everything seen, yeah, and now yeah. they're closed and they're abandoned and still in these neighborhoods not being repurposed or renovated so all of those things just on top of each other continue to add up to A a severe environmental injustice through, you know, ultimately what is just racism.
0: The the heat thing that you mentioned, just to pull out one of those threads, what was the year of the heat wave that all those uh, senior citizens passed? I can't remember exactly.
2: I do believe it was in the 90s, yeah.
0: There's a Mm -hmm. a really great documentary that came out within the last year called Cooked Survival by Zip Code that uh, really shows, one, the ramifications of that, and then even the way that we think about temperature and temperature control. And it makes me actually go back to a conversation we had earlier in the series uh, with Pat Abrams from Renaissance Collaborative, talking about the ways that the cost of temperature regulation is so hard for senior citizens, specifically, and she's talking about in Bronzeville, in the ways that like that as a as a need doesn't even really get talked about, um, but access to like affordable control. Heat, I mean, that's elevates whole thing. But, you know, I think that that's that's something that we, we don't even think about, especially in the context of like global climate change. We know that the effects of that will be and are being uh, handed out unequally. Um, but even within the city, that temperature change makes such a big difference in people's lives.
2: It really does. And, you know, how the continued neglect and disinvestment in the neighborhoods on the south and west side, how that contributes to further environmental injustice, because, you know, if you think about um, a block, just any block on the south side. You, which you do. Uh, exactly. If there's anyone who thinks about a block. I'm always thinking about a block on the south side, specifically in Englewood, And let's just say, you know, five of the, the the two flat brick buildings have been demolished because, of course, no one wants to purchase them and live in a neighborhood like Inglewood. So now they're demolished. They turn into vacant lots. So then you have a couple of homes still lived in on the opposite side of that street. What you've created now is a whole side of the street that doesn't provide any shade to the block because now these homes have been demolished and now you've exposed the the soil and you now have these vacant lots. And then these blocks don't really have a lot of trees. So you can imagine what the temperature control or the temperature issues of the homes that have people living in them, what they're struggling with because now the, the way the sun sets, these homes are being exposed to even more sun, because they don't have buildings Mm -hmm. to kind of block it. Whereas on the North side, that's not an issue. That's not even something people would even think about. Like, wait, what What is this issue you're talking about? Yeah, there's a lot of homes (laughs) in these disinvested Black neighborhoods that are overexposed to the sun because they don't have any buildings on the opposite side of their street. That affects things like energy that affects things like being able to be cool in the summertime, all of those things as a result of this neglect and disinvestment um, in neighborhoods and, and, and refusal to intentionally invest in these neighborhoods. One,
1: I just want to say, Daniel knows this, and the old school Ergo
2: fans know this,
1: I'm a real sucker for trees. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I think I even knew that. I think you know, I yeah, even Yeah, I, I
1: really this. rock with trees. And I didn't realize that until I was an adult. But yeah, I'm just really sad <laughs> about our trees right now. Yes, uh, no. So to get out of sadness, I want to, I love to vision with people. To talk to you and imagine a world that is driven by your map twins, right? Like, mm-hmm. l- l- let's put them in a, like a, a hypothetical place of power. Um, cause I think what you have done so well now for a few years in the city, um, is create these moments where folks can place themselves and understand their like personal position in something that is beyond them. You know, it is my belief that to address these things, these inequities is going to require some collective communal driven action. Because I don't trust the state and governments. I don't trust the corporations either, right? Like I think both the corporations you don't have sp- <laughs> to not trust them. They've proven yeah. Yeah. that it just- <laughs> the the the, the market driven corporate space, the nonprofit corporate space, the the political arena, right? Like have proven that this is not a focus or priority. There is an intentional abandonment. It's
2: profit driven, right? That is
1: profit driven. <laughs> so I want to like vision that these folks that now have like addressed their position are in motion or have some power, what type of action should we be pushing folks for? Uh, because no one's going to come save us, right? And so I know from your, obviously your experience in Rage and in the community, there's like real things you can speak to. Uh, but like even beyond what like our organizing capacity is right now, um, w- what is some of the things that folks who are aware that they are a part of this inequity can start to do to address disparity or create healthier outcomes?
2: There's several things, obviously, but the one I think that remains the most tried and true is finding ways to connect to others who have a different lived experience perspective than your own and holding each other up. Uh, An example I would like to give is the first MAP twins that were part of Folded MAP. They've known each other for three years now. I told them like you don't have to continue this interaction. <laughs> like I, there's the no homework over. here. It's, <laughs> it's over now. I'm not going to grade <laughs> this. I promise you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but during the pandemic, um, because of their friendship, because of what they experienced with each other through Folded Map, they decided to expand Folded Map on their own and create Block Twins. And I was like, what? And in July, the Folded Map First Map Twins invited their neighbors to meet each other to do gardening on a block in Inglewood. And I went to this nice socially distanced event and I saw (laughs) predominantly white neighbors from Edgewater Digging up dirt, planting flowers and trimming weeds for older Black women who live on this block in Inglewood. I was like, wow.
1: Did they plant any trees?
2: No, they didn't plant no trees. But <laughs> trust me. I know that that's probably that's next, next for them. Okay. <laughs> that's next for them. But they beautified this garden no, space.
0: <laughs> They're going to have to actually, they should take one of the trees from their
2: block and bring it. That's the difference between us. equality and justice. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh my yeah. gosh. A redi- redistribution they, of trunks. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, because the trees on their block in Edgewater are big. But yeah, this to me, I was like, this, this is what is needed. Mm-hmm. And this is something that people can do. You know, of course you can vote. Of course you can volunteer. Of course you can sign petitions. Of course you can, you still should do all of those things. But sometimes people think that just because they do those things, that it allows them an opportunity to not still make those connections to, to people. If you have a shared passion with someone, it's easier for you to make that connection across racial divides. And that's really what we need. Right now. So, those Edgewater residents came to Inglewood and did what Inglewood residents wanted help doing on their block. Don't parachute in with, with, with solutions telling people what they should do. Come in and listen and help and get to know people in the process. And so, that's something that I feel um, that's easy for all Chicagoans to be able to do. You know, sometimes you have to show up. And listen, and then be prepared to be directed on how you can be helpful. And so I just really want people to understand the power of connectivity and the necessity for it right now across race, neighborhoods, class, because we have to have solidarity with each other. We have to educate each other about different groups issues. Um, I do so much advocacy for um letting people know about the historic struggle specifically in Chicago and organizing of the Latinx community, uh, telling people in Inglewood, well, you know what other group had similar issues or had similar issues as us? The indigenous population. Imagine how they feel, you know, like all of us have to have that solidarity and then for all of our allies to, to, to work with us. But that can only happen when you connect to people, because when you connect with people and talk to them, you begin to be empathetic to the things that impact them. There's still power in in relationships and the process of building it. And that's something we can all do.
0: Well, that's incredibly beautiful and heartening. And I'm going to be a downer for a second. (laughs) Go ahead. Um, So everything you just said, I agree with, and it's like fundamental to our work and our lives. And that's part of why we get along. (laughs) Um, Right. However... It's happening in these these quiet ways all over this land. But, you know, the loudest stories do not really feel like what you just said. So I'm not even saying, like, how do we get more people to understand that? I'm saying for you as a person living in this wild, bizarre moment right now, one, how are you doing? <laughs> and how is this particular, like, uh, six-corner style intersection of everything going on right now impacting the ways that you're holding that that line and, and, and building that connection? It's a very vague question, but.
2: No, but I get what you're saying, you know, and, and that's what I like to, you know, challenge people to think like connectivity is happening. What make you think it's not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe the trick is to get people to think that it isn't. Like, I know that it is. I see it. And I feel it. I have been supported, uh, people outside of uh, my social network. like I think for me is understanding that there is an over-exaggeration of this divisiveness. And I personally feel that the reason the push is so hard for the divisiveness is because there is a lot of solidarity happening across the country i mean first of all germany had one of the largest <laughs> black lives matter protests like what <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> what so my thing is for people who are, are are like us that are continuously striving to make this world more equitable We are all connected and there's a momentum and there's a movement. And it is because it is building from local to worldwide that the push for divisiveness has to be stronger. I refuse to have people dishearten me, but no, I really do feel that now more than ever in in our past in this country that we have people across races coming together to call out this systemic racism. And and that's just what I personally believe because I I see it too much. I also see a lot of bullshit, but I cannot act like I don't see the other side because I do. Yeah. And I just think that the trick is to get people to think that's not happening.
1: I'm I'm, I'm willing to um, allow this joke to go to the cutting room floor, uh, <laughs> but I've been really enjoying seeing Germany's like position <laughs> but don't they seem a little bit like the kid in the class that just wants the other kids to get in trouble too <laughs> it's like hey i had to do i, I, was I like, have to do all of this detention and all of this extra credit to get my get back on track and to graduate this isn't fair and they just yes. get to sit here and do all of this bullshit and disrupt the class and beat up people and they just get to walk with honors and like that's... And sometimes it feels not completely... It feels a little disingenuous. Like true and honest, but, but a little bit just like tattletale funny. A-
2: <laughs> it does. It does. It does. <laughs> However, you know, it is just reality of where they're at or what they're trying to be or whatever. But, you know, it it you, you can't ignore that it, it happened though. You know, we just have to acknowledge that to even continue to be hopeful for the future because it's the truth. A whole different generation is growing up who has a completely different psychology and perspective and is pushing against uh, what we have uh, been used to. And so I just think that we need to be reminded of that shift and that growth and that and that change so we can remain hopeful. But also it's not just Hope in a vacuum. Like it's, it's real, you know, like it helps me understand why the pushback is so strong.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Can, can I offer you some gas right now? Can I, can I gas you up a little bit so we can do
0: yes,
2: some yes. more vision?
1: <laughs> yes. So I, I think what's so powerful about not just your work, but your entire framework that is around this like solidarity relationship driven like you saying like i feel and i'm living and i'm experiencing a level of connectedness when you when you hear something like map twins when the step further to create block twins right like that feels like a seed or a model uh or a prototype for a new technology of how to address inequity um that i think to the point of, like, I don't think the institutions, central institutions of, like, government and corporations are interested or are even equipped to address the in- inequity that they've produced. It feels like the people can create new models that institutions can catch up to or we can create new institutions, uh, but it requires relationship, right? So to hear that the opposite block uh, that is benefiting or experiencing a different example can come and have a relationship to their literal geographical counterpoint Mm -hmm. um that feels like the beginning of where like grassroots bottom up redistribution of resources which is the solution to inequity can happen of like what if we have a bunch of these block twin type models that do some type of like cooperative investing for like land trust or taking over rental properties and giving it to the tenants or setting up solar panels and like reducing energy costs or planting some damn trees so we get some shade on the south side. (laughs)
0: And and it
1: feels like, you know, I I don't want to put more work on your plate. like I'm not saying this is what you have to do, but it feels like you have created or seeded something um, that can be really transformative in a model uh, that goes beyond. I think some of our notions of charity or um sympathy or or even allyship of like really put your hands in the dirt and like touch the the pavement. So that's my gas with the, with my vision. Um, we got to get more of these black twins. I, I really, I really love love that notion.
2: Oh yeah, no, thank you. No, and I I I, I love how how you phrased it, how you put it and and it's definitely true. we have the capacity to create these solutions that can serve as models for the controlling institutions. And we can show them what a power shift and how do you make a hierarchy flat. We can show them what that what that is and what that looks like and and actually organize within that spirit and maybe even have actual, like you said, it, investing. So yeah, we we definitely need more of that. I think it is happening, um, but I'm I'm all for multiracial advocacy, you know, especially in a city like Chicago. That's what it has to be. Hmm. <laughs> that was a <laughs> deep. That's the hmm. first time I've heard you say.
1: Hmm. <laughs> yeah, <I'm>
0: yeah. Not- <laughs> <laughs> Just
1: letting that. <laughs> yeah, no, you received that. <laughs>
0: I received it. I had a joke. I said no. I discarded it. And then I came up with another question is what just happened to me. Um, So similarly to the, the follow up that we asked to the check in question, I'm curious whether we can kind of approach that same model that you're talking about that is such a fruitful seed. And uh, how we think about our relationship to the natural world, too. I don't have an answer for this, but, you know, what can redistribution of resource look like for soil and plants and animals? You know, one of the ways that I think the pandemic kind of forced this was when everything was shut down for the first couple of weeks and nobody could be on the lakeshore. Like, the hawks and coyotes had a much better two weeks. <laughs> like, they live here. They didn't have to run. They could just, like, they had a beach day <laughs> is what they had. Um, So I'm curious for you, and you don't have to have a, an expert answer on this, Um, but in your thinking of this, like, holistic approach to reshaping and this repair, are there any spaces where you could imagine that, that playing out in relation to, again, the non-human world, as if there's a, a distinction there?
2: Yeah, no, I think... um. An opportunity for that connection to to be reestablished is how we think about the vacant lots that exist in our city. Yes, they are predominantly on the south and west side. But that's still an opportunity to really offer a way to connect. A lot of residents are already doing that, creating gardens, you know, to, to provide actual produce that's needed in food deserts. However, you know, if we take it even beyond gardens for produce, we can have things like. Um, Butterfly gardens, where you actually plant you know native plants that attract a different kind of ecosystem um, or just how we repurpose the 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 space of of closed schools. like there is opportunity for us to turn this horrible <laughs> inequity into not only a redistribution but a way for people to connect more to nature, since we have so many spaces that are barren on the south and west sides, like we can all envision how we can use that to create more natural spaces that can be utilized by the larger public and can actually be the space where people do a lot of connecting, where people can come gather and people can meet each other. So I definitely think that that is, is possible. I think there is a lot of organizations and groups and individuals who are already working towards that, um, but need assistance and help. There's definitely people who are out planting new trees. There's a tree giving program, um, some residents in on, on the South side, I know some in Greater Inglewood that were part of that. They get trees donated. Um, I can't remember the actual institution, but every we'll look year. We'll up and
0: put it in the show notes. Yeah.
2: Yes, they donate trees. You can get them for free and you can plant them. And that's just a, a great opportunity to create more natural spaces that this you know city actually needs.
0: You know what you just planted in my brain? The limits of the language of vacant lots? That like Mm. they're actually not vacant, they're full of plants, many of which are invasive species, and the same way, you know, they're not vacant lots, they're colonized lots, basically. Yes. So like the act of taking the, you know, we we just had a conversation a couple episodes ago on Ergo's regular show with Janie Pochelle from uh, Chi Nation's Youth Council, and we were talking about that idea of what happens when you pull the invasive species, what are the plants that come back? You know, taking care of those lots doesn't mean putting something there, it means taking something away first, that of and that's part of the active repair, you know, and that, that could be weeds, quote weeds, that could be the heavy metals in the soil, but then there's the opportunity to, to plant and in some ways like replant what was there to begin with before this whole process. So that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start being the annoying person who doesn't uh, accept the phrase vacant lots anymore. So that's going to be really annoying for people. <laughs> no.
2: Yeah, no, yeah. no. But you, you got you to gotta start somewhere, yeah. you know, because I definitely uh, was trying to push, you know, instead of us actually having um, front yards, you know, just grass, you know, once I learned about the, the actual soil benefits uh, and drainage benefits of planting native plants, in mm-hmm. front of your yard how that actually helps <laughs> you know with with drainage and soil i was like why do we have front yards then we should just direct plant.
0: line to the british it's like a direct one to one british line. yeah I, like there's like <laughs> there was just like before i can yell get off my lawn i have to put in a lawn and then i can yell get off my lawn like that was the, exactly. it's like this isn't your lawn bro it's no. <laughs> ain't your lawn no this is our garden yeah
1: i want to go deeper in that in that vacant lot conversation because I do forget a lot of times that uh, most people who don't live in the South Side don't come to the South Side (laughs) and West Sides of Chicago. So folks like visual imagination are probably skewed in ways that I take for granted or forget because particularly like, you know, the breathing room space is actually like, you know, half a mile away from Sherman Park. So I drive around that area a lot. And if it wasn't for COVID, there was actually a plan um, to use all of this unused land In some of the legacy of like Freedom Square as different setups of of mutual aid stations, political education, youth programming and development and like play space uh, as a way to like, you know, build political movement around, you know, state violence and, you know, regressive Uh taxation, all all the things we need. Right. Um, And then (laughs) a pandemic hit and an, an uprising happened and it kind of just started happening without. Us having to do it, so
2: exactly. <laughs> which is and the ideal. plan is still that's, you know it's still really it's still, it's still
1: in, in, in the cupboard. I have not said cupboard probably in a decade. I feel like I, I got assigned a book in middle school, like fifth right, grade I was saying, when was the literature. Last time you
2: actually used it?
1: <laughs> to describe, yeah, but but, 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 the but yeah, I throw that in the file cabinet but one of the things so, talking about you know the the area you know new city is really just north of inglewood uh, heading into um back of the yards um it's not mm-hmm. when we say vacant lot and I'm glad we're correcting the word for, for most of the time it's not like that 1970s bronx is burning like brick rubble um it's it's not also like just like one little spot that has a, a, a like overgrown grass there are like entire fields That are open, like entire, like almost half of a block that are like full of grass. um, That's not even too high, Mm -hmm. like just like open space that one feels like such an opportunity. And secondly, it really scares me because I feel like people are going to come and try to poach it. But third, just feels like such an absence where there is so much need, but then also so much available space. But it is actually, it's not like untamed or just like garbage or just rubble. It's land that just shows like there is really no attention being paid um, because it's not just boarded up houses, right? Like they're just entire open blocks, uh, particularly around that Sherman Park area. Um, or even near Mm -hmm. Washington Park, Bronzeville, like we've been able to do, you know, trainings with hundreds of people by the train because there's just plots and plots and plots
2: of undeveloped
1: land. Mm -hmm. Um, that I really feel like we as people, particularly black people and indigenous people on this near the South and West side need to feel a greater Mm -hmm. claim of like stewardship or protection. Um, not quite ownership but ownership in terms of those who may come and try to use it for for profit um and so i was trying to get that into a mm-hmm. question uh, but it's just something that i haven't really had the space to talk about of like you know this is not just rocks or gravel um this is wide swaths of land
2: yeah no definitely even to that point what it was before right you know and that's mm-hmm. something i i'm particularly interested in, you know, in, in the project that I'm working on that's around land sale contracts and the homes that were purchased or sold in Englewood on land sale contracts, a lot of those homes uh, have been demolished and are the present day lots of land that, that we see. <laughs> and so just even rephrasing what that is, as well as acknowledging what was there before, mm-hmm. and then what mm-hmm. was what was there before that, the, you know, the before so, the
0: before
2: exactly. So no, I, I feel you. I do.
0: It reminds me of the conversation we had with Juliana early on in the series. Juliana, Pino from uh, Little Village Environmental Justice Organization, talking about the site that Cook County Jail is on, Ooh. which was before that a agricultural site that was owned by a company that then sold it to to build the jail. But because it was an agricultural site, then we know that before the area was colonized, it was a site of food production already. So we we can trace that this was a place where food was grown, and that the history doesn't start when the profit started and when the extraction started. Um, exactly. I think in thinking about this this future building, what you do so well, and what I'm hearing you you really center here is. Like, it's not that the land is ready for development. It's that we are three developments later. (laughs) Like, this has happened before, and how do we not fall in the same pitfall or uh, allow the same extraction again? Does that ring true?
2: Yep, I agree.
0: And is there any piece of of that history? I know you mentioned the land sale contracts, but like, what wave of that gets left out of the story that we need to make sure when we're talking about this physical land, uh, we're, we're including as well.
2: Well, as I've been doing a lot of driving around, photographing around the land sale contracts, the, the, the research that uh, a friend had given to me that highlighted all of the homes that were sold on land sale contracts, that research has gotten me to think a lot about the parallels between what, uh, black people in chicago around home ownership have gone through and the indigenous population with the treaties that <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and the the similarities between that is sadly striking and how it calls for us to question ownership land ownership what is that what does that even mean why do we need to have that in order to be full citizens here right. and how groups and populations are treated in the accessing of it. And so when I see the the homes that are abandoned in Greater Inglewood, knowing that it's probably a land sale contract home, and when I see the, the huge spaces of land, you know, I cannot help but think about the indigenous people that were here and and (laughs) what that must feel like to have another population demographic of people experiencing the same legalized theft you experienced on land that was stolen from you. (laughs) Like what? That's insanity. There's so many parallels and connections of that atrocity that, that can unify us. And that can force us to envision the use of those spaces differently.
1: No, it really it really rings true. I mean, you got to really the center of, I mean, really all of our systems, particularly the political economy. But when we talk about climate, environment, biodiversity and, and you know, fossil fuel, all of those things are connected to this central construct of ownership of land. That has expanded over the last few centuries in ways that are obviously unsustainable. And almost every system of oppression um, is filtered through this notion of ownership and then has consequence in this concept of ownership to the point where you have to look at ownership in itself as a system of oppression um the landlord versus the the serf and and so Uh we're getting into scary territory because like we're getting further away from a solution that i have (laughs) but getting closer to like a problem (laughs) uh that 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 folks are uncomfortable discussing which i think creates then these types of back to this original point like this willful ignorance that your work cracks against is like if we don't talk about ownership as a construct those who are benefiting from it and the beneficiaries of it are receiving privileges that they don't have then a, a language to address
2: exactly but i i i love us actually even <laughs> even though it feels like going further away from the, the proposed solution <laughs> like we have to talk about this because in the process of talking about it you can think differently and envision differently and therefore come up with new solutions that that are embedded in addressing the direct root of the problem so we have mm. to call attention to it we have to talk about it we have to get on people's nerves and mention it because it will inform what a different solution looks like
0: so to to that point let's do the the visioning now that we've gotten to the root as abstract or specific as you want to be what do you hope your block, your neighborhood, your city, what do you hope this land looks like in 20, 50, a hundred years?
2: To get people to understand the vision, I'm going to have to use terms that are used today. So Mm -hmm. a big old land trust, (laughs) big old land trust, you know, uh, that, you know, it's, Requiring for us to continue that relationship because you cannot have land trust without like continuously talking and 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 having communal spaces and land together. So I and really, trust and trust. Yes, it's in it's it's built into the actual name land and on, trust. Man. So I want us to really just be a big old city of just many amazing. Multiracial land trust and living happily together. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like that's as yeah. that's that's deep as I could go, because I have a lot that's of, good enough. have <laughs> yeah. a lot of other ways in which we could, you know, possibly frame that, but at the end of the day, that's, that's what it is to really embrace a communal ownership, if you will.
1: Mm. Yeah, I want to. I want to get in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to jump in there. I think. Um, you want
2: double dots, You want yeah, double dots yeah, in yeah, there. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. so, um, one, you know, I think the mapping that you do, literally and socially, I think that that helps my framing of let's go bird's eye view and recognize if we just like think of a space like Chicago. Um, there's such a a geometry or symmetry to how neighborhoods and communities are organized um, that I think that 's a place we have to start and look so first, most neighborhoods more or less are in these four by four block Zones, right? Um, and so within that, kind of viewing that as like a walkable space, I think that's one of the most important things when we're talking about community and the environment um, is that we need more resources and needs being able to be met within walking distance of where people live. Uh, and so within these four by four zones, uh, having a space that makes sure that everyone's housing is met and up kept uh, a space that is able to meet some level of immediate medical needs and mental health needs um, a way to take care of the vulnerable. So children and elderly arts and then communal gathering space um, being within walking distance of these four by four kind of units. And then you can have like commerce and markets like, still on the outskirts on these main streets. Uh, But I think there's, in Spain, a really good example of, we need to greenify uh, to the idea of trees, right? Like, some of the spaces that have been taken up by motor traffic. Mm. So I can think, like, let's Mm. think in the middle of these neighborhoods, like, two blocks in each way, like, two by two in the center, having green circles where, like, we cut off car traffic and folks are able to walk Freely without having to worry about being hit, able to play more, able to have different types of internal exchange space.
2: Damien, you, you are urban. You an urban planner. Just, just I'm an abolitionist. You are an urban planner and a civil engineer. A civil engineer and urban planner. That's really what you demonstrated right now.
0: At least an urban imaginer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. planning <laughs> part.
2: Because <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I'm not, urban a, imaginer, I'm not yeah. an urban responder.
1: You know, I feel like I would have to get a lot of emails to be an urban planner. I, and I, I love this little community um, you done built. But yeah, you know, that that is a vision where folks are, are able to engage their needs, education, you know, healthcare, food within walking distance. And then that creates that community. And there being this cooperative, I think, land trust type model. Um, and then from there, guess what? We can address conflict and violence different. And then we don't need the police, but that's a different podcast. Yes.
2: Because <laughs> maybe it won't even be any conflict and violence if we have all of that.
1: Right. And we're driving less, which... Is helping true. the entire environment. Yeah.
2: But you got kids Okay, I like You, you it. want to
1: get in this pond? I mean,
2: I, he laid uh, it out. <laughs> I don't
0: <laughs> What what it just made me think of in this like circle in the center is again what we're building is what was here way <laughs> yeah. before, right? So yeah. like the only right. thing that's different between a town square and what you just said is there's no corners. <laughs> <laughs> like <right. laughs> <laughs> this idea oh of a communal God. gathering space that isn't a commercial space, that's part of a public space. Like that's a damn good plan, Dame. And we don't have to make it up from yeah. scratch is a, a really like reassuring and beautiful thing. Cause then we're connected to these stories and to these lineages of how people have lived for so fucking
1: long. Yeah. And, and, and I think what you brought up well um, in talking about this urban landscape is there is this re-indigenization that is needed. And so, you know, that definitely helped me get into to my sauce, but yeah, mm-hmm. we you know we need to decolonize this land if we want to have healthy environment, if we want to have healthier yeah. exchanges of energy like material energy, but also the social energy uh that our bodies interplay, conduct, produce, receive, uh, yeah, man,
0: decolonize. <laughs> To that point, to Tanika, the last question that we ask every guest in this series is, you know, part of the the goal of this podcast is for Elevate, Energy, and other organizations kind of like in that space. So they're nonprofits, they have some, you know, resources behind them, they have relationships with different people, they they occupy this kind of in-between role. The question is from the work that you do for them and their peers. What should they be doing better? What should they be doing differently? Or just what do you want them to know?
2: Mm, What I want them to know. I mean, I want them to know everything that we have kind of been talking about of just neighborhoods like Greater Inglewood having so much opportunity and are in desperate need of environmental equity. However, they can... Help provide that it's needed, and there is opportunity to to do something different here. And so, helping repurpose one of the eighteen closed schools in in Greater Inglewood as an example, mm-hmm. um, and using that as a way to demonstrate what an energy efficient, equitable repurposing of a school could look like. Um, I think that's a great way to. Demonstrate all of that. And I would hope that they could think about contributing to some resident led organizations that are behind a plan. One being, funny enough, called Go Green on Racine has an actual mm-hmm. website that is a ready to group go. of, uh, yes, ready to go. They have a school that they are um, trying to develop into being um, all of these spaces that we just described. And of course, they're gonna need more energy efficient investment solutions to make that happen. And I think that they should really look at that resident driven plan. Go green on racing. That's perfect model, perfect model. It really is. Folks,
0: that was Tanika Lewis-Johnson. Always a joy. really, really a Chicago treasure.
1: Shout out to Tanika.
0: If you want to learn more about the Folded Map Project, check in the show notes. Uh, make sure that you support Rage Englewood, which is also listed there, as well as the Go Green on Racine initiative. Make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review both Climate Change Makers on your podcast app as well as Ergo. We have one more episode coming for you next month. We're excited to end this series with a bang. Shout out to Elevate Energy for keeping the work going.
1: Much love to the people.
0: Peace.